That's the American blood, <laughs> sugar based. <laughs> We're going to have to do a warning up top. Like, this episode yeah. is gross. Definitely. <laughs> Don't eat. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hi, I'm Holly. And I'm Sarah. Welcome to Cover Your Eyes Uncovered. Today, I was wondering, does anyone really know the color of blood? What? <laughs> Sarah, do you have any thoughts on the actual color of blood? Um, it's red. And it's different colors of red, depending on if it's from a vein or an artery. It'll be brighter if it's in an artery. Oh. And it looks blue under your skin. Is that why they say blue bloods? Oh. That and is you can use chocolate syrup in black and white movies. Bingo. Okay. Because <laughs> today we're going to talk about the history of fake blood. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Were you, is this what you were expecting when you told me that you got a letter about Carrie? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't even put it together. <laughs> <laughs> Giving me too much credit. <laughs> Well, okay, so what I was figuring we could do for these is, I mean, it's not going to happen all the time, but mm-hmm. you know, for right now, it's pretty fun. Is it like you told me we got somebody that answered a Carrie letter mm-hmm. or for the Carrie episode, and I was like, oh, cool. So what about Carrie were we curious about? And it was what, you know, what was up with that pig's blood? Mm-hmm. And... Then I, it got me thinking about, well, what's up with fake blood generally? We could take a journey back to 1897. Oh, wow. To the Grand Guignol Theater, which opened in Paris, France. Now, this troupe spe- specialized in horror shows. There's an actor, Paul Retineau who is a stage technician as well. And he created gory special effects from his knowledge of magic tricks. Eyeballs popping out of the head, Mm. acid melting faces, skinnings, and the literal rolling of heads were all nightly occurrences at the Grand Guignol. With every horror trick came the spurting of fake blood. Uh Seems pretty intense for the 1890s. I know. That's what I thought. <laughs> but then, like, people used to go watch, like, public hangings and public beheadings and stuff. So maybe it's not that intense. Oh, that's like, that's a really good point. Maybe they were like, geez, <laughs> now that we don't do that anymore in public, <laughs> how will we quench our bloodlust? <laughs> So a few random facts that I found about the Grand Gagnon Theater is that Gaston LaRue wrote The Phantom of the Opera. Oh, nice. Um, He also wrote plays for the theater. So that's interesting because we were talking about 
musicals on yeah. an after party episode. And you brought up the Phantom of the, the Opera. Phantom. During World War II, the Grand Gagnon stayed open and they catered to the occupying German forces. Oh, whoa. Yeah, so Parisians didn't forget this. And then after the war, the theater eked by until its final curtain fall in 1962. Oh, so people were like angry that they had entertained the Germans and they quit going? Well, that was part of it. And then the other part of it was that like the Germans had occupied Paris Mm-hmm. And everybody was just like, we don't want any more gore, man. Like, we're sick of gore. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the emphasis kind of went on uh, erotic uh-huh. sensibilities instead, would be my guess. That makes sense. The first on screen examples of fake blood include Sergei. Eisenstein's Battleship Potomac, which came out in 1925. Have you seen that? No. I haven't seen that either. We have, however, seen this next film, which is Louis Bignot and Salvador Dali's Un Chonandelo from 1929. Slicing up eyeballs. Oh, my God. Do you remember this? film black and white has like a goat falling off of a cliff Mm. there's like a close-up of an eyeball being sliced that sounds familiar yeah the pixies wrote a song about it oh my god don't know about you but i am on shun on the loose yeah you remember that song not really okay yeah now I remember it. <laughs> oh, it's so groovy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie. Ooh. I did want to say one more thing about the um, Sean Andalo. Mm-hmm. So they used a cow eye for that scene. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I should probably just take all of this out because I don't want to be like the look on your face right now is so gross. That You're like, funny. oh, God, it's so gross. <laughs> I don't want to make people. It's eyes, man. I know. Eyes being sliced. Oh, my God. I'm going to take that part out. No. You don't think so? I should leave the eyeball. We're not showing it happening. We're just talking about it. Well, that's a good point. Okay. As the silent era gave way to the talkies, Hollywood more and more was scandalizing the Christian fundamentalists. In order to stave off the creation of film censorship laws, The studio heads installed the Motion Picture Production Code in 1934, known as the Hayes Code. It forbade things such as adultery, nudity, and criminal behaviors, including murder, on screen. It also helped create an idealized world of cinema that people now look back on as the good old days, but which, in fact, have never existed. At the time of World War II, violence on film increased as real footage from the war came onto the screens. Mm. Production companies wanted to support the war effort by making movies that inspired a sense of victory. So they showed battle scenes with people dying, but the human body remaining fairly intact and bloodless. In 1947, the film Brute Force 
starring Burt Lancaster, gunning down prison guards on camera, violated many Hays Code regulations. The blood is not present on screen, but the shocking violence of the film created waves through Hollywood as filmmakers started to realize they weren't so beholden to the Hays Code after all. Hmm. It would take until 1968 with Bonnie and Clyde for the code to become obsolete. Oh, really? Yeah. Because it was self-imposed. Huh. So filmmakers just kept pushing the bar a little bit farther, a little bit farther. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So they imposed it on themselves in Hollywood. Yes. That's right. So there's no real repercussions for breaking it. No. The only real percussions was the fear that they would piss off the wrong people Mm-hmm. who would all g- get together and organize and have laws made because because okay. the other thing is that uh films were considered commerce mm-hmm. and not art or i think like actually up until the 60s but don't quote me on that and because of that you could censor things okay in film those things like weren't enforced but like technically it could be so like if a town didn't want to play you know a movie nobody is gonna like sue that makes me think of actually like now that i feel like films are more commerce than art (laughs) i think of like marvel and dc (laughs) when you say that i know right (laughs) yeah and a lot of movies but pre-television Movies could just be like whatever. Like you would just go, you would go watch a movie that was like 10 minutes long. You know, they had like short ones. They would have like things that were just sort of novelties, like, you know, uh, carnival rides, like people on carnival rides or like before people talked in films. Yeah. It, It was so simple. Yeah, then just the fact that you were watching anything on film was still, like, exciting. It's like, this is on film, and it's moving. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't even matter what it was. (laughs) I wish I was that innocent. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, over in England, the boys at Hammer Films... We're having fun remaking classic monster flicks such as Frankenstein and Dracula. Hmm. Not beholden to the censorship in Hollywood. Their films were bloody. John Pinegate, a retired pharmacist, created the Hammer Films blood recipe known as Kensington Gore. Hmm. Blood recipe. It is as follows. Golden syrup, which is like sugar water. Syrup. Mm-hmm, like warm, syrup. warm water, food colorings of red, yellow, and blue, and cornstarch for adjusting opacity. A well-known example of Kensington Gore blood on film is the scene in The Shining. Oh. Where the elevator. Yeah. And then the blood starts gushing. Just like an ocean of blood. That's all Kensington gore blood wow yeah so that's what kensington gore blood looks like on camera and it was real substance not just cgi'd in 
and it yes. looks way better. I should have written down the um, the gallons. I, yeah, I think it was like eight hundred gallons. Oh my god! <laughs> but don't quote me on that. I didn't that write it right. down. It was a lot of blood. <laughs> it was a lot of blood. <laughs> Brit shocked the U.S. movie audiences and the censors with the release of Psycho in 1960. Mm. Not only are we accosted with the horrifying scene of a toilet flushing, we are also presented with a woman being stabbed with blood shown swirling down the drain. Part of the reason Psycho is in black and white is because Hitchcock didn't think the audience could handle red blood. The blood was... mm -hmm. Wait, so it could have been in color at that time. It could have been in color. I never thought about that. That's crazy. He was just like, oh, no. And now another example of when the the movie maker used black and white is in Kill Bill Volume 1 from 2003. Um, They went, there's a scene. I actually, I haven't seen that movie, but I watched this particular scene. You haven't seen Kill Bill? No. (laughs) Oh my god. <laughs> um it's so good. <laughs> so this scene uh is, you know, well then you know what scene I'm talking about. So uh Uma Thurman's fighting like a thousand dudes at once mm-hmm. and it's all bright. And then all of a sudden it flashes and it's just black and white. And like body parts are flying mm-hmm. and all of that. So in Japan, when it was released, it's all in color. Okay. But in the U.S., they're like, U.S. audience audiences can't handle this much blood. So Really? I mean, yeah. at that point in time, I feel like we had seen that much yeah. blood. But that's interesting. Quentin Tarantino was also kind of doing a, an homage to when they would show movies from japan or korea or different places where they did have blood in the films and they would show them in the u.s black and white when they were actually shot in color Hmm. for the same reason so he was like also okay with doing it because it was kind of like a reference point to the to that standard okay by the 70s fake blood was in demand as acclaimed movies became centered around violence, reflecting the bloodshed in Vietnam, the brainwashing mm. of the first television generation, and their father's collective World War II PTSD. Not to mention mm. the newly toxic levels of pollution being pumped into the atmosphere and the steady diet of Frankenstein convenience foods fortified with modified war chemicals. Jeez. Just to set the scene. I mean, really, people are like, why were the 70s so violent? (laughs) And (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I just kind of went to town on that one. (laughs) Yeah. Guess that explains it. (laughs) Well, that's one of the reasons I've always observed with what was happening in the 70s with, like, the draw to violence uh, in film. So. The 70s Golden Boys, Peckinpah, Penn, Scorsese, and Coppola. Peckinpah? 
Peckinpah. Sam That's Peckinpah. a golden boy? I've never yeah. heard of him. <laughs> he did the Wild Bunch, which is like, uh, it's from 1969. The reason okay. I mention him is because that movie is like considered a classic. I've seen it, but I don't know. It didn't really like strike a chord with me in any particular way. But it is one of two movies that really just sealed the deal. Shutting the door. It was the done. Code. Because Bonnie and Clyde came out Arthur Penn's Bonnie and Clyde came out in 1967 and then Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch in 1969. Now these two movies used realistic fake violence and realistic fake blood. Mm-hmm. So before you might have violence somebody gets shot with a gun, but there's not really like blood there, like there might be like a dot on the shirt. Yeah. You, I mean, everybody's seen that if you've seen an old movie. And these were, like, really bloody. So Dick Smith, who's a pioneering special effects and makeup artist, he went to the grocery store and he got himself some caro syrup and food coloring. He mixed it together and he thought, hmm, it's too translucent. So he added some zinc oxide. Like sunscreen, old time sunscreen? Yeah. I think it was in a powder form, though. Okay. And a star was born, Sarah. Nice. Because we now have Dick Smith's classic fake blood. Awesome. That's the standard now that's still used? Yeah, that's kind of like the the base from which all other fake bloods Nice. That are sugar-based. Diabetes blood. <laughs> I can say that because everyone in my family has diabetes. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> Over in Japan, I, I thought this was interesting. Akira Kurosawa, he mm-hmm. has these samurai films that come out in 1961 and 1962. And in one of them, Sanjiro, there's an explosion of blood as the samurai cuts into someone's heart. It's the first arterial spray ever filmed in the history of mainstream film. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. This spray was achieved by hiding carbonated chocolate syrup in a pressurized oh. can underneath the actor's kimono. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Did they wait? Was it in black and white? Yeah, it was in black and white. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Dick Smith, by the 1970s, he is called the godfather of makeup. Hmm. And he he works on films, The Godfather, <laughs> The Exorcist, Whoa. and Taxi Driver. Nice. Three of my favorite films from the 70s. Dick Smith, he added a few more ingredients to his blood recipe, which is a photographic wedding agent. Sorry, not a wedding. Like what? <laughs> he took his like wedding photos and blended them up into the blood. <laughs> so morbid. <laughs> oh my god. What was that? Jesus. It's a photographic wedding. Wetting agents. Okay. It's called Kodak Photo Flow. 
Hmm. So this changed the viscosity of the blood. So hmm. it, it made it to where it would seep into clothing and it would dry like blood. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it also made it poisonous. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so Oops. that's that's not really used anymore. And you can get, <laughs> you can get <laughs> just as well with food grade liquid lecithin. Uh, okay. So don't use Kodak photo flow. Mm-mm. So at the same time, uh, the chemical company 3M developed Nextel simulated blood in nice. 1971. Is now, that who makes like scotch tape? Yes. Okay. So this blood uses microspheres, which is the same technology used to make scratch and sniff. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's scratch and sniff technology. <laughs> it's also a thickening agent for fake blood. So the advantage to Nextel blood is that it doesn't leave stains on clothes, props, or the skin. Oh, wow. There's a movie, which I don't think I've seen this, and I really want to. It's called What's the Matter with Helen? And it has it stars Shelley Winters and Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> mm. And it, it's the first film to use Nextel simulated blood. Yeah, I've never seen that. That sounds good, though. Also, the guy from Kiss, mm-hmm. he there's a picture of him drinking blood. He's drinking the Nextel simulated blood, a bottle of that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hot. So, so cool. drinking, <laughs> <laughs> like, caro syrup. Uh, so it's no longer made as it was a bigger hit with studio execs than the special effects people because they liked the looks of and control that they would get with the syrup-based fake blood mm-hmm. that they made themselves because they can change the color and everything. So you're probably wondering about the blood dump scene in Carrie. Yes. So we wanted to know if it was really pig's blood and then... Also wondering, like you were wondering, how long can a bucket of blood sit there before it would congeal and all of that stuff? So what was that blood? The Palma mixed caro syrup and food coloring to create the buckets of pig's blood, which, if it were real, would actually take a few days to coagulate. Mm -hmm. I looked that up, too. I looked up, how long does a bucket of pig's blood take to coagulate? Oh, my God. And I came across this like oh, I think no. it's I think it's a Taiwanese, it's like a blood popsicle. What kind of a thing? But anyway, they're illegal here in the US because they blood use popsicles. Yeah, because they use pig's blood. I don't think it's actually a pop. I don't think it's like frozen though. So it's not like a popsicle, I guess. But what the it's like a it's a thing on a stick that you eat. A blood stick. And it, it's made... <laughs> yes, this episode is very gross. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like a blood popsicle, but it's not frozen. So it's really just like the blood that's coagulated in like a mold in the shape of a popsicle. <laughs> it's kind of looks that it. way. 
Oh my God. But, I can't I mean, believe what I think you it's got like, into. Like a delicacy. I really didn't Probably. look it up much. Yeah. Because like I can barely stick my hand inside of like a duck to get the gizzards out. You know what I mean? Ew, yeah. Like, so anyway. <laughs> okay. So this scene, the blood dump scene, they just did one take. Oh, wow. Okay. So they dump the blood. They dump the caro syrup and food coloring onto Sissy Spacek. And then they light the gymnasium on fire for real. That's all real fire. God, that's so dangerous. Okay, well, this is what Sissy Spacek had to say. The fake blood got hot and she, no, this is a quote, started cooking like a candy apple. Oh, geez. As she walked through the gymnasium while it's lit on fire that's right she would be like caramelizing herself exactly yeah that's i mean she she was okay but yeah yes (laughs) but also yes (laughs) so uncomfortable and sticky and awful wow that's so impressive i mean so that's why it looks so good because everything was real but it just seems so incredibly dangerous to have all of those people in a place that really is on fire. Yes, it is. Like how many accidents and burns were there? Well, you know, you know how um there's been movies where like people die on the set because mm-hmm. of a special effects scene that goes wrong. I mean, I, I don't think it happens like I don't think it happened like that often, but I know there were some that happened that were pretty significant. Mhm. And Michael Jackson's hair Oh, yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Pepsi commercial that never materialized. I'll tell you what, Pepsi has bad luck with pop stars. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so the thing, so like CGI comes along and they would just do that scene with CGI today, the Carrie scene. Yeah. And it wouldn't look as good, but it would be safe. And the actress wouldn't feel like she was cooking like a candy apple. <laughs> I guess it's just kind of like a priority. What's your priorities in a in a scene? Like how you're getting a shot. Yeah. Probably budget-wise, too, it's better mm-hmm. CGI because it's like, what if you don't get the take properly and you've already burned down the gym? It's like, oh, are you going to find another gym to burn down <laughs> to reshoot it? <laughs> I feel like they should do the blood for real, though, and then for safety, do the fire CGI. Like if they yes. Redo it. Yeah. Which maybe they did in the redo of Carrie. I mean, I didn't watch it, but... I... I came across, actually, I think one of the articles I have listed in my references does actually, does talk about the, how they did the new carry. And I think Mm -hmm. that is how they did it, but I just skimmed over it. I didn't really read it. I just read the part relevant to the old carry, the original. Uh, David Greathouse is a makeup and special effects artist who is currently working. And he said that keep in mind like the difficulties of fake blood every every time you do the shot 
you have to have another set of the same clothes. Everything has to be set up exactly the same way. Everyone has to get cleaned up. The whole set has to get cleaned up. Wardrobe change, makeup adjustments. You have to get back in exactly the same places. Everything's got to be staged the same. Every single shot. Mm-hmm. If you use real fake blood. But despite all that, he says, and I quote, when liquid blood shoots out where you didn't expect, there's still nothing better. <laughs> David Fincher, little known director of movies like Fight Club and Seven. Oh, nice. Always uses CGI blood. Hmm. Because he wants to get the perfect scene. Like his priority is the actual scene. And so he doesn't want to have to be like, oh, well, we have to compromise because of this fake blood. That makes sense. So he's never used anything but CGI blood, which I've never noticed. Like I saw both of those movies. I didn't notice that was fake blood. I didn't even think about it. I didn't either. Okay, I'm coming around. I came across something that I had wondered about before, which was like, have you ever watched a movie and it was seemed, seemed like there was a lot of like killing or violence happening, but it still gets like a PG-13 rating? Mm-hmm. And then you see this other movie that has absolutely no violence, but there's like a hot sex scene in it and it has an R rating. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I've personally thought that. What the fuck is wrong with this culture? Right. Generally what I've thought. Um, Well, I I found something about that. Professor Stephen Prince at Virginia Tech, uh, he's kind of like an expert on violence in cinema. He stated, blood will push a film into the R rating and depictions of physical and emotional suffering as the aftermath of violence will push a film into the R rating. Sexual violence will push a film into the R category. So what you wind up with in the PG-13 category is really fake violence, where nobody really gets hurt or suffers. It doesn't matter how many people you kill, as long as you do it that way. The body count in superhero films can be astronomical, but nobody really gets hurt. And I was like, holy hell. He's right. In those movies, it is violent. It's like explosions everywhere. And you might see like bodies sort of like, oh, in the background or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's no consequence to the violence. And I'm like, I actually think that's worse. Right. Than seeing human suffering. Because like when you see human suffering, you go, okay, well, maybe you shouldn't go like shoot up a place. Because it's not a, you don't live in a superhero movie video game. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. It just like desensitizes you because you see so much violence over and over. But then, yeah, you don't see the aftermath. And it might be better to see the aftermath. So you think more about it. And why is sex like rated so much worse than murdering someone? I feel like our priorities are wrong. What happens when you live in a death cult culture? Now, when we grew up, we saw a good balance of sex and murder. Fuck yeah. 
sex and violence. <laughs> That's how we turned out. <laughs> hmm. That's cool. That's something that um, I never really thought about until you mentioned it. But yeah, there used to be just like people would get shot, but you didn't actually see the blood or anything like that. And then over time, it just got gorier and gorier. And I didn't realize there were like rules and everything about it. I want to make some of that blood for Halloween because Halloween's coming up. Oh, well, it just so happens I have a simple and cheap recipe for everyone. Oh, nice. <laughs> Tell me. Well, let's take a moment so you can get your pen and pad. Okay. <laughs> Got it. So this recipe is brought to you by Sam Raimi, creator of the smash hit movie Evil Dead. Oh. And he was looking for a cheap alternative to the David Smith blood. And he came up with this recipe. Six pints caro syrup. Three pints red food coloring, one pint non-dairy creamer, hmm. one drop blue food coloring, and here's a hot tip. Adding peppermint oil will deter insects mm-hmm. while filming, especially when you're outside because that is a problem because you're basically just sugar all over you. Oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> That's a good point. Yes. They'd be just like covered in flies the whole time they're trying to film. It actually does sound like highly edible. Well, especially if you put peppermint oil in it. Yeah. And the creamer. Yeah. The creamer is like for the viscosity. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm excited to dump blood on someone as a prank this Halloween. Just put it above your door for like the first kid that comes for candy. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god! But then what's left? You can just put it in your coffee. <laughs> oh my god! I do want to make it, but I'll be working on Halloween, so I won't be able to like torment anyone. Hmm. Darn. O- or will you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, do you have anything else? Um, I mean, so we talked about Carrie. So I have the letter from someone who listened to the Carrie episode and wrote in. Do you want me to do that now? Oh, my God, yes. I totally forgot. Yeah. Okay, just so everybody That's inspired knows. inspired your whole thing. <laughs> well, I know, but just so everybody knows, basically this is how we're doing this. Sarah is in charge of the letters. So if you want her... To read your letter, you you could listen carefully for her wit, her humor, and her kind heartedness, and write <laughs> accordingly to appeal <laughs> to those things. Yes, you have to listen very carefully to hear those <laughs> things. <laughs> so, so I don't read those letters, but she does tell me what the letter, what movie the letter is pertaining to. And then mm-hmm. I am answering a mystery that we were curious about solving that is related to that movie somehow. 
So that's yeah. how we're doing these episodes, I guess. I or right cool now. How it, yeah, it kind of like worked out that way this time, it seems like. So yeah. I think it's cool. It's probably not always going to work out that way. Right. I like it so far. When we took a break between the seasons, then we got letters like during that time, which yeah. is good. Like people yeah. were listening during that time. So now we've got some to work with. Yes. And I'm trying to just do one from like each movie. I like so this. I don't think they're in order of the movies the way that we did them, but no. Yeah. I'm just kind of yeah. picking. So this one is from Carrie, like we said. Well, about the movie Carrie in response. And so for that movie, we asked the question about like, were you ever bullied and getting revenge on your bully? I guess. That's mm-hmm. what this is about. Um, the time I got revenge on a bully. Okay. Hi, Sarah and Holly. I just listened to the Carrie episode and loved it. I've always related to this movie because I was bullied in high school. And while I never killed anyone with my mind, I did get revenge. (laughs) That's good to know. (laughs) Um, The group that bullied me in high school had a ringleader named Kristen, and she hated me. My first memory of her was when she walked by me in the hallway freshman year and slammed me into my locker and then just kept walking. Classic bully move, right? (laughs) Fucking lame. (laughs) That's so lame. It is. Um, I was very shy and kind of a loner. I had a crush on a boy named Matt, and then I found out that Matt was Kristen's boyfriend, of course. Um, Matt was really nice to me in the classes that we had together and I helped in the high school library and he would come study in there. Uh, I don't know, but it seemed like he really liked me when his girlfriend wasn't around. Mm. Um, she kept harassing me all year and right before summer, Matt told me that he wanted to date me, but he was afraid to break up with Kristen. I can see why, like, I would probably be afraid to break up with her too. (laughs) I've I've known a girl or two that kind of like was really a bully and all of the guys around were scared of her also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One person in particular, I can think of. Nice. Is it someone that I know? Um, I don't know. I mean, she went to our high school, mm-hmm. but I always, I mean, she seemed really terrible, I, but I kind of like would observe her from afar. I could see like, the wrestler table <laughs> like get real quiet when she walked by oh kind of a, kind of a thing. that's pretty cool though <laughs> tell me who it is later <laughs> it's like some power i'm like what did she do to this <laughs> i know oh my god um okay so he was saying that he wanted to date this girl but then he told her like oh i'm afraid to break up with kristen and then he said um, he decided that they should meet at the park for a secret date. So when she got there, he wasn't there, but Kristen and some of her friends were. So what? Mm. Like, did he set her up or did Kristen find out and then like threaten him not to go and be like, I'm going to kick her ass. And oh my God. I don't know. What do you think happened there? Do you think he did it on purpose? I hope not. You know what? I'm going to choose to live in the reality that that bully did something to him. 
Yeah, she like tied him up <laughs> and then went yeah. to the park to meet this girl. <laughs> because I don't want to think that he set her up. Yeah, I don't think he set her up. I don't want to think just, that's like, a real thing. Out and let Kristen threaten him to not show yeah, up, you know. That's right. Yeah. That's not cool. No. So she gets there, he's not there. The bully and her friends are there. And she says they beat me up. I didn't fight back and I just played dead. I mean, really, what can you do when you're the only one? Man. That's awful. That is fucking brave to not Mm -hmm. fight back. (sighs) The injuries weren't physically severe, but I felt pretty suicidal for a while. I pretended that nothing had happened, though. And then she says, since then, I've had therapy and I've had a great life, exclamation mark. So that's good. Yeah. That would be pretty traumatic to be like. You feel like you're set up by some dude and then get your ass beat by multiple girls that you then have to go back to school with, too. That's like, that's really the nightmare. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only are you like betrayed by just like random women who sort of like, come on, people, can't we just like be fucking nice to each other? (laughs) Yeah. And then on top of that, you've got like, the guy you're into betray- like potentially super betraying you intentionally, mm-hmm. which I mean, me personally, I think I would always be like, yeah, was that on purpose? Did he just do it intentionally? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I would ever stop questioning that personally. That seems right. like really awful. Yeah. That would definitely be hard to get over if you wanted to try to start dating him be like i don't know if i can really trust you she doesn't date him does she um no okay so that was back in the 90s and um, she she said the library computer system because she worked in library remember well there's more into yeah there's more she says that she worked in the library and she knew how to like get into the computers so she got the idea to get in there and like mess with the overdue book notifications. (gasps) So like, I guess then if you had a book overdue, you'd get an email about it or something. Mm -hmm. And she changed it to where like, instead of getting the notice, um, it would tell everyone who got one that they would read the story of how Kristen was stealing money from her after-school job at Matt's dad's restaurant. Mm. (laughs) Normally it would have info on how you pay your library fee. Oh. But instead, everybody found out like a like a dirty story about the Kristen girl. Oh, so like it's where it's where you have to like where it would just be like the standard thing. Yeah, like she sta- she she changed the standard form. Yeah, it says or something. Yes, she changed the standard form of like the overdue book notice. So okay. they would normally get an email that's like your book's overdue and you owe this much, and then right. she changed. But it. instead, so they- it said. Kristen stealing money from her job. So basically everyone in the school found out about it. Oh, fuck. That is yeah. brilliant. I know. So brilliant. Whoever so... you are. <laughs> My God. Mm, it says that she never got caught. So that was like a really good plan. And she never got caught for like busting her, her and like changing the format. Um, mm-hmm. But then the Kristen girl who was the bully, had to move to a different school district. So So she got rid of her. She got rid of her. Wow. And then the boy broke up with Kristen, the bully. And 
he tried to apologize to this girl afterwards mm-hmm. and like wanted to get with her then. And she says, um, I told him to fuck off. Yes. <laughs> okay. Good. good. <laughs> yeah. Cause just like you were saying, have you really hard to trust him? No, absolutely not. So, Oh um, my God. Yeah. I want to play trust with you. <laughs> this girl's good. <laughs> She says that, um, I guess, right before she sent this, um, she says she looked up the girl, Kristen, to see her, like, on social media, and she found her on Instagram, Mm -hmm. and she's peddling some pyramid scheme, hashtag girl boss beauty cream products. Oh, boy. And she says, hashtag girl boss is actually in the post. I feel embarrassed for her now that I see this, but whatever. Revenge is sweet, and I learned then that I could rely on myself. Love you, ladies. Signed, Erin. Aaron. Yeah. So she got revenge without being violent. Just clever. Yeah. And that's really the best way to do it. Mind chess. Yes. Mind chess. And you know what? She didn't get the boy, but that's good because it sounds yeah. like he's. No. Not really worth it. Get a backbone, man. <laughs> and by that, I mean go to therapy, dude. Mm hmm. Because if you're dating a lady like that, like that's like really actually violent and a bully, like you need help to make sure that you know how to make yourself safe because you haven't been like taught how to take care of yourself. That's what I mean by get a backbone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hopefully he did. Yeah. Erin went to therapy and she's better off for it, she said. So exactly. Yeah, so that was a good one. No, I got like excited. Like I was like physically like I thought you were saying that she was with him at for a minute, and then you like went into this whole library thing, and I was sort of like, I don't care about the library. (laughs) (laughs) No, she's with him. (laughs) Don't tell me she's with him. Yes, they got married that summer, and they're still together. (laughs) That was like exciting. Yeah, like I liked it. There was no pig blood in it, but it was still good. <laughs> Next time, we only want letters with pigs. Blood <laughs> oh or if you've ever had a blood popsicle, please let us know. <laughs> you've ever had a blood popsicle? Let us know. Seriously. No. I want to know what it tastes like because I will Ew. never eat one. <laughs> it tastes like blood. I don't. What only colder you've never tasted blood like if you had a bloody nose or something and it blood but would your own blood taste different than other people's blood there's only one way to find out and you'll probably end up in jail if you do don't (laughs) don't write to us don't let us know (laughs) that is a good question (laughs) and also write to us and let us know Does your blood taste different than other people's? <laughs> That's a mystery for another day. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, never thought about that. Yeah. Till next time. Bye, Sarah. Bye. This has been a really gross episode. <laughs> yes. Thanks for letting us totally gross you out. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to Cover Your Eyes podcast. We love it when you subscribe rate and review you can also visit our store on redbubble at cover your eyes podcast on patreon 
We've got an after party every week where we tell all our secrets and answer the movie mysteries that keep you up at night. It's twice the melodrama and double the fun. Find it on patreon.com backslash cover your eyes. Oh, don't forget, if you have your own memories of this movie, let us know. Email us at coveryoureyespodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> How will we quench our bloodlust? <laughs>